Yes. All right. Well, welcome to Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev, sometimes called Joel. Uh, Big Rev goes back to my non-riding motorcycle days. Yeah, tonight's class is in 1 John chapter 2. We are in 15 to 27. I call tonight's class Tension. Usually a really good communicator will, will, will begin with some kind of a tension, something to grab a hold of you like, oh, I wonder how this is going to get resolved. And John's church in 1 John is just swimming in the sea of tension. And the tension tonight is going to be twofold. We're going to be investigating the either or, and then we're going to be investigating the both and. Are you with me? Either this or that, or both and. So we'll start with either or. And each one of these things, as you look down your page, there's the tension between two things. World versus father, going out versus remaining with, truth versus lies, real versus counterfeit. As you read down the page there, there's these doublets, these two things that are against each other, that are warring with each other all throughout our lesson tonight. So John is presenting an either or. So I got to be thinking about how am I going to open this up? And either or reveals your priorities. And I had a couple of those times in my life. It was uh, the summer before my senior year of, of college, Knox College, Galesburg, Illinois. I was advancing nicely in a, um, a Christian group on campus called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, IBCF. I was the kind of guy that I don't think they really liked me because I wasn't really sold out. I wouldn't go to every one of their events. Instead, I would go hang with my frat brothers and I would go hang with a bunch of people that weren't coming to those events. And so I wasn't exactly all bought into like the whole group think thing. I was out there and I was trying to live Christ to people who didn't exactly have Christ. In fact, I got to admit, one of the reasons I joined a frat, because I kept saying, where's Jesus not at? Well, he's not in the Greek system. Not good theology at all. But I'm like, okay, so where can I go? It's that same idea I told you last week about how I got asked to, to walk onto the football team. Well, that comes up here. Here it is. I was asked to be a small group coordinator for IBCF. And I, it must have taken some bravery to ask me. I didn't think they really wanted me, but they asked me. But to be a small group coordinator for campus, I had to attend an all-expenses-paid trip up to the UP to some kind of, uh, I don't know, some, 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 I forget what camp it was that they did. But you had to go up there for the week, kind of like a retreat. And I said I was going to go. I said I was going to go. And then I found out that football had our hell week. The opening week, two-a-days, the, the better-not-miss-it week, same week. And I was in a conundrum. It was a true either-or scenario. I could not be up in the UP and down in Galesburg the exact same time. Impossible. My dad played football. My brother played football. And I was talking to him. I said, what do I do? Um, I, I talked to the head coach. I was, like, I was like, coach, what do I do here? He's like, Bradshaw, it's okay. I get it. No one's going to think any less of you. We get it. You've got to do your thing, and you know, we'll, you, you'll fit in somehow. You'll make it work. He was kind of, you know, he was, he was a little bit tense about it, but he was totally nice. Maybe he was making up for the fat guy comment he made to me. I don't know. But he, but he was totally cool about it. He's like, you can do what you've got to do, Bradshaw. It's all right. It's all right. But I got to talking to my dad and my brother. like, Joel, dude, we get it. You miss Hell Week. 
and you'll never have your teammates. They're never, they're always going to, that's always going to be in the back of their mind as fellow teammates on the football team. And you see this today in the pros. If somebody doesn't show up to like mandatory workouts or voluntary workouts or lifting times, they always report about, oh, this one's holding out on this. The locker room never comes back. And so my dad's like, Joel, you want to witness to these brothers of yours on the football team? I do not recommend missing hell week. So I made a hard call. I chose football. And I had to call. I was terrible. The day of, they were getting ready to leave. Joel, we can't find you. Yeah, um, I've been meaning to talk to you. And oh yeah, there's no way. I, I bet they won't talk to me to this day, probably. I probably I'm, I'm sure I upset them, but there was an either or. I had no real good choice. I chose football, and I chose it for the sake of the gospel. Well, I want to have a chance of, of, of representing Christ with these guys. Another one was in between church jobs. I... Uh, I was getting kind of sick of the church world, and I was just like, oh, man, I, do, do, I, do I do another church job? I just don't know. So my mom always reminds me, so, Joel, you have a biology degree. Remember that great degree you got in college? And I bet you could use that biology degree. I bet we could do something with that. So I sent some resumes out. All of a sudden, I get a call from, I don't know, some, some laboratory in Elgin, and it's like, hey, you know what? We're interested. You're interested. How about that? And the woman who was doing the phone interview said something I'll never forget. She said, Mr. Bradshaw, we like what we see. Obviously, they haven't seen me yet. We like what we see on, on, on the, the, the resume, that kind of stuff. And she's like, but I've got one concern. Your resume shows you've been doing ministry jobs in a church, in church, 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 church. Where's your heart at? Because we're willing to hire you but we want to hire you. We don't want you to all of a sudden skip town to the next pastor job that comes along. We want you. We don't want you, and all of a sudden you've got to go to another pastor job. Another either or. And I prayed about it, and I talked about it with my newlywed wife at the time. I'm like, you know, this will solve a lot of questions answering, but I think I've got to say no. I don't think I can take this job. Because in all good conscience, I know that the first church that's going to want to hire me is I'm going to want to do it. And sure enough, not too long later, Little Prospect Christian Church in Prospect Heights, Illinois, gives me a call as I'm going through the, the, the toilet paper aisle of Walmart. And they say, I got your resume. I'm like, you did? And I didn't send a resume, but they got my resume. And, all, and here I am. The, we have the Bridge Randhurst, all this kind of stuff. The rest is history. But I faced that conundrum. It's an either or. I faced this as well in my first year of seminary where I got into theological debates with my roommate and he would say these things about God and I would answer this way. My God would never do that. Any of you ever done that? The Bible I read doesn't say that. As if any of that depends upon me. It's like those old bumper stickers that say God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You can cross out the I believe it part. It doesn't matter. God is still God, whether Joel believes him or not. He doesn't require me. Well, my God would never. What a great either-or time. Was it about me, or was it really about God and his word? Oftentimes, we try to make scripture fit our understanding, and it needs to be the other way around. Oh, I, you, you'll never find a more motivated person than somebody trying to win a theological argument with a dedicated Christian, and they go, I know the Bible says this somewhere, and they Google the heck out of it to try to find a verse to fit what they already believe. Eh. Okay. Tension. We have tension tonight. We're in 1 John chapter, chapter 2. 
First tension is the world versus the Father. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Any of you uh, couch Bible scholars? I like that. You do something on your couch, study the Bible. This verse has a great word. One of the few Greek words you all know. Agape. Oh, agape. Made its rounds in the 70s and 80s. Agape, one of the great words for love. The love that is made by God for God. And yet that's in this verse right here. Do not agape the world. That love you're supposed to give just to God, you're giving it to the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The either or tension here is you're either loving the world or you're loving God. Those of you in a marriage, the same kind of word, when you say I love you to your spouse, you may not use that same definition of love for a taco or for the transmission on your vehicle or something, or how, how things go, gas prices, or whatever it is, the I love you is a special thing reserved for that special someone. It can't be used in other It just doesn't make sense. So the tension here. I love what Jesus says here. Or excuse me, this is James. My goodness. James 4.4. 4. You adulterers. What a good start. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's a tension right there. What do I do? I want to make friends. I want to be known. I want to have something to hold, hang my hat on. I want people to like me. I want all these things. But what's the priority? You see, either ors, how you answer the either or, it reveals your priorities. At some point, your flesh or your pride has to take second place. John defines his terms in verse 16. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Just take those three as they are right now. And go to your blue question there. What flesh or pride issue has your allegiance? Just take a moment here. The lust of the flesh. If you need to know any, any examples of those, you're probably not a human being. Like when you buy something online, they make you take a robot test to make sure you're not a robot. This is one of those moments, theologically. I don't know what the lust of the flesh is. I doubt that. You have an advanced PhD in lust of the flesh because you have a sinful heart because you have you are totally depraved you are in need of God's grace and God's mercy you know sin believe me you do and don't even get me started on me I have four or five doctorates in sin easy so just take a moment here maybe it's a lust of the flesh maybe it's just hurt habit or hang up that you have. Maybe it's the lust of the eyes. Oh, I just don't really lust after things like, I don't know, sexually or anything like that. But I am so jealous, and oh my gosh, every time she gets her hair cut, I want that. I want to have something like that. Every time he gets a new vehicle, every time she wears a new pair of shoes, every time I see this, I want that. My whole existence on social media is moderated jealousy. 
I'm seeing all these people at their greatest, and I want that. I want what they just put out there. I want that to be me. I want that to be my story. Social media depends upon that. Your Instagrams and your Facebooks and your Twitters, all that kind of stuff. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Ah, yes. We're not talking about Simba here with the pride. The pride, the selfishness you have. All sin comes down to pride. All sin is reduced to thy will versus my will. There's an either or for you. Thy will be done or my will be done. The pride of life. So something, as I speak, as I keep talking about this, there's something that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart right now. He likes to do that. He likes to point out things that you need to get in line. He likes to point out things that you struggle with because you need to submit them to to, to Jesus. Write something down. I've got things I can write down. But you don't need to hear my things. Most important is what you can write down. John defines his terms. How do I know if I love the world? I just don't know. Are you addicted to yourself? Are you addicted to the things of this world? Do they drag you away? Is there something you're going for in this life that you're willing to sin to get or sin to keep? That's an idol doesn't matter how good it is if you're willing to sin to keep it or get it yeah that's something i would write down one for me is i want people to like me i struggle with that i always have and i've got plenty of excuses but it doesn't matter i want people to think i'm important and that i i have value and and that i i I, that I, i i say good things and that i'm really helping people and all good qualities for a care pastor to want to help people, but I struggle with that in my flesh. John gets respected for those who are hesitant in verse 17. The world and its desires pass away. A buddy of mine used to drive a truck for Thomas English Muffins, and they got bought out by the Intamins, you know, the coffee cake people. Okay, He used to be a, a rack jobber. That, that job is you drive from place to place, and you fill the racks and that's your job. And he would take away things that expired and put away things because bread and bagels have a shelf life. You can still get cans of things from World War II that you can still eat, I, I guess. There's things that last forever. The thing that lasts, there's no food that lasts longer than honey, by the way. They're finding honey in Pharaoh's tombs from way back when. And theoretically, I would not dare, it's still technically edible. Honey, come on. But yeah, honey has like no shelf life. Anything I buy from certain grocery stores, you have to eat. It's like, well, the price, they're so great. Yeah, if you eat it that day, it is great. I have this pile of apples in my kitchen. My wife keeps bringing home bags of apples. I go to try one. I'm like, oh, it's all mushy and mealy. And what happened? It was this good the other day. I know. Did we just get like a blowtorch and start having at it or something? What do we do with these things? Bags upon bags of apples I just have to throw away. I don't know what to do with them. Shelf life. You see, these desires that you think matter now that you're willing to fight for and to get, oh, I got to get this, I got to get that, I want people to see this, their shelf life is horrible. But the things of God, it has no shelf life. It's eternity. So the first tension is the world versus the Father. Who are you or what are you reserving agape for? That's it. I mean, if you answer that question, you know where you stand with God. The second one is going out versus remaining in, 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour. And by the way, any preacher that says we're in the end times, this is where we get it. 
If 2,000 years ago, John could say we're in the last hour, I think we're still in the last hour. And as you have heard, and this is something that John coins, no one's known to have said this before John, Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming, and now many Antichrists have come. This we know, this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. This is mind-blowing. Every other time we hear of an antichrist or a man of lawlessness, it's somebody that's outside the church, some great political figure that's going to come and beat on the church. The outside coming in and destroying the church. John's giving us a clue. The antichrist he's talking about was already in. What are you where in the world do I get that? Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would, not, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. John's the first person ever, not only to use Antichrist, but to paint this picture of an Antichrist beginning within the church. Ouch. John's church is up against it. Muhammad Ali had a rope-a-dope story. They're on the rope! What are we going to do? Of course, Jesus talked about this before, Matthew 24. The, the, John coined a term to name the ones who are deceiving and dividing. Jesus said, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah. And Messiah means anointed one. Okay, Christ, Christos, the anointed one. Look, there's the Messiah. Here he is, or there he is. Don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time, Jesus said. And you know, John was right there hearing that. We're not surprised when John speaks of these things. This tension de defines why many leave churches. Why would someone leave a church? Just think for, your, for yourself. A lot of, there, there are some times when a church is just not a good fit, Maybe some people really like being big fish in a small pond. So a really big pond just doesn't really serve their needs. Other people always have to be heard or they like to be on stage and be in front of people. Other people have a theological bent that the church is not going to satisfy. Other people just want power. And they're not getting that power. Some people just want control. And they're not getting that control. I don't know exactly what was going on with these antichrist-type figures. But they weren't getting what they were looking for, and so they left. Some people get really burnt by a church, and they leave because the church either did something or their leader did something that was just, just horrible, and, and they can't live at that church anymore. Fine. That's not a power issue. That's not a struggle. Sometimes people have there's major character flaws or whatnot. I get it. But then there's some that leave because there's a power struggle. That's what we're getting here. There's something about their going and coming out that didn't sit right with John. It just, it just didn't sit right with him. He's like, they're claiming they're a part of us, but if they were a part of us, they would have stayed. This isn't about a church. As in, okay, this church has this many locations, and it meets here and there, and I'm going to leave this church and go to this church. no. This is the church church. This is it. This is the first century. Churches were in various cities, and that's it. I mean, this is not like, okay, I don't want to go to John's church. I want to go to Peter's church. Instead, I'm going to go over here. No, you can read the book of 1 Corinthians and talk about that. But no, this is it. This is the church. 
and people are wanting to leave because they're not getting what they wanted. So just take a moment here. What does verse 19 sound like to you? I very rarely do this in a class. Would you describe the tension just on your page there for a second? For, verse 19 is very cut and dry, so it's not like I, I'm, I'm depending upon your opinion on it, but what does it sound like to you It's going on in verse 19? Can you just take a moment and describe that tension on your page? Just look in your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 19. Just describe that tension. I gave some theories just a moment ago. What do you think? What's going on there? They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. What's that sound like to you? Write that down. What's that, what's that sound like to you? R write that down and just, this is a good way to study scripture. You can put things in your own words so you can understand better. You're not replacing God's words, but just kind of, it's like if I, if I was going to teach this to somebody, what would I tell them about verse 19? Boy, that sure sounds like this. Wow. I went through this before. Boy, they left and I did uh, Boy, that was just awful awkward. So what is it? take a moment here. So we have the tension of the world versus the Father, the tension of the going out versus the remaining with. You know, this is Martin Luther's tension, by the way. If Martin Luther had his will, I don't think there would have been a Lutheran church. The more I study church history, I think he would have stayed Catholic to the bitter end. Had they not freaking excommunicated him, I think he would have still stayed a Catholic. He wanted to reform the Catholic church from within the Catholic church. This modern-day Luther, I've got Lutherans all over my, my in-laws. And, and it's like, I, I always wonder about that. It's like, I'm not quite sure the Lutheran church is exactly what Luther was going after. Because he wanted to reform from within. He did not want to go out. He wanted to remain in and transform from within. It just didn't work out that way. But that was Luther's tension. He fought this. And, you know, they, they spent the last half of his life trying to kick him out. You know, it just, the, the question got answered for him. But still, truth versus lies, 20 to 23, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Any of you who are going to get really charismatic real here, just take a pause. This is, John is using Messiah language here. Messiah means anointed one. Who were anointed? Priests were anointed. Every son of David, the next king, was anointed. Okay, remember Samuel went to, went to Jesse's house and he's searching for the next king. He has all the boys walk before him. Nope, not this one, not this one, not this. Don't you have any more sons? I got the little runty one out in the field. Bring him in. And sure enough, the Lord says this is the one and he anoints him. Every next son of David is the anointed next king. Technically a Messiah. Will that son of David Messiah be the Messiah? Well, they, they, had, they struggled with that in the Gospels. They kept calling Jesus Son of David. He is Messiah. He just was the Messiah. The Messianic hope. Every new son of David on the throne, is he the Son of David? This anointed one, Messiah, anointed one, Christos, Christ, it means anointed one. So you have an anointing, it says. You have anointing from the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? In John, the demons called Jesus the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Jesus says in John 16, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes. And by the way, Theology 101, when you speak of the Holy Spirit, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he has a pronoun. It's he. The word for spirit is neuter. It has neither male nor female. But when he gets a pronoun, it's always masculine. Jesus refers to him as he. When he, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So Jesus is already turning into Babe Ruth of the Polo Grounds calling a shot. He's like, I'm going to continue to teach you, but I'm going to do it through the Holy Spirit. And before we get all, you know, kind of charismatic going, oh, i got to have some extra knowledge here. Here we go, here we go. No, the Holy Spirit penned the Scripture. The canon of Scripture is now closed. He is done communicating the way he once did. But he still does. He still works within us. He just doesn't give us any more scripture. He guides us into all truth. You are sitting here in this classroom because the Holy Spirit has worked on your life. You have come to Jesus. You have been baptized. You are in this church because the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart and on your life, drawing you here. You know the truth because of the Holy Spirit. His job is to guide you into all the truth. From Jesus, John 14, John 16. His role is to verify the truth. The truth. He still works through the thing he penned. The Bible. Number two, biblical teachers proclaim the truth they never created. Anytime you hear anybody say, I have something new from God. Danger, danger Will Robinson, Danger. If I ever say that, I expect you to be calling people. The church has nothing new ever, ever. Now, the church may present it in a new way. They may present it differently than they did in the first century, than they do in the 21st century. We have multimedia. We have all these things. We have different idioms, and we have different analogies, all these kind of things. We have, you know, if, if, if John was here from the first century telling us this story, that'd be awesome. But he would be using different turns of phrase and different analogies we would like what in the world is that all about and we start talking about it at the Super Bowl and he's like what is that all about and he just had, didn't get it the way we communicate changes but what we communicate never does the church never proclaims anything new if any preacher any teacher I don't care how many Bibles or books that he or she has sold I don't care if they're on a bestseller list I don't care if they, they, they pack out arenas if they just sell out conferences I don't care the moment they say they have something new they are wrong the church never presents anything new ever ever it's impossible. It's a non sequitur. It does not follow. The Holy Spirit has stopped doing what he's done in Scripture. That's it. In fact, we're told in the last chapter of the Bible, you're not adding anything else anymore, whether it's to the prophecy of Revelation or, or otherwise. So, Bible teachers proclaim the truth they never created. There's nothing new. So John defines his terms. Who is the liar? 
It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person, logically, anti or against Christ. You see, theology matters. And before you say, oh, I go to a class called Masterclass Theology, and I'm not much of a theologian, but you know what? I like to listen to theology, and I like to read God's word. And do you know what I say to that? Hogwash. Everybody is a theologian. Now, you may not be some highly exalted, published in 42 countries kind of theologian, but every time you read God's word and think about God, even what I asked you to do with verse 19, that was a theology experiment. You putting into words what you just read. So what does this say about God? Wow, well, this says that God is faithful. Theology. What does this say about me? Well, it says that I'm a sinner and need to trust God. Theology. What does this say about what I'm supposed to do? Well, theology. Every time you open up God's word and you think about it, you're a theologian. Don't ever shortchange yourself. Master class theology. What kind of class? I mean... How stuck on himself is he? You're all theologians. This class teaches you to be a theologian simply by reading God's word and explaining God's word and interacting with God's word. You are theologians. Theology is study of God. Duh. I mean, it's just like there's no, there's no, you don't have to be brilliant. You just have to open up God's word. Okay. What's the either-or tension? In verse 23, what is it again? No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This, by the way, in your blue, blue question here, this very tension divides Christians from other faiths. Our Jewish friends, they don't know what to do with this. Our Muslim friends know what to do with this. Our Jewish friends are like, wait a minute. Number one, if the Messiah has already come and you say he's Jesus, how did he die? Why would God's hero die? That doesn't make sense. How did God have a son? How is that possible? Our, our Muslim friends are saying, wait a minute. Um, that means God has to cohabitate with somebody to produce. Uh, yeah, God really has no sperm to to mix, okay, yeah, this is gross, and, and yeah, that's just weird, and no, there's no way he's God, and yeah. The people in John's day were denying that Jesus was a son, and yet claiming to know the Father. That doesn't work. John is saying non sequitur. Jesus said in John, I and the Father are one. To know him means to know him, and to know this one means to know that one. You know, was it, was it Philip? He said, show us the way to the Father. And said, like, oh, and, and John 14, oh, Philip, I, how, how long have I been with you? And thankfully for that passage, we get, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, how do we get there? Oh, Philip, don't you know? Like, seriously? That was like a seriously moment. Seriously? I mean, come on. Don't you know now? That I and the Father, we're, we're one. We're one. And this is not like, okay, you've got him and you've got me. I'll try him for a while. Then you know what? I'm going to move over here for this one. No. You can't deny the Son and expect to be on good terms with the Father. My Son's going to get older one day. And I'm going to have his back. You mess with my Son, eventually you're going to mess with me. And I'm a sinful dude. I'm not, I'm not God or anything like that. 
But theologically speaking, Jesus is God. He is now representing all that was before, just God the Father is now the Son. He and the Father are one. And we know this because as you open up the Bible, the Holy Spirit testifies to our hearts. There's a tension there. There's a tension. What do we do with this tension? We have the tension between the world and the Father, the tension of the going out versus remaining with, truth and lies. And by the way, you only know something is the truth because the Holy Spirit testifies it. If anyone ever says to you, I have a special word of knowledge, you know what my response is? You may think I'm going to say, no, you don't. How dare you? No, I'm going to say, okay, give it to me. Let me hear it. Because anything that's from the Holy Spirit is going to fit the Bible. The Bible is going to be like, you know, you're, you're in the kitchen baking, you get the little sieve, and you're like shaking things out, and everything goes to that little sieve, and you shake it onto your plant. That's the way the Bible is. It has to pass muster with the Bible. If it conflicts with the Bible, forget about it. It has to be with Scripture. Because what, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? Change his mind all of a sudden? Real versus counterfeit, 24 to 27. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Oh, John's already called him Antichrist, hasn't he? He isn't necessarily called him the Antichrist. He doesn't quite go there yet. He says, you know the Antichrist is out there somewhere, and many Antichrists have already shown up. John's like, all right, these guys are dividing you to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. Wow. When's the last time you heard a church say that? You don't need us to teach you. Open up God's word and read. Well, there goes the whole Protestant Reformation. I think they had something going there. The priesthood of all believers. All of us should be able to have a Bible in our hands. Way to go, Gutenberg and your printing press. Making it possible for us to have Bibles in various ways that we can hold in our hands. Wow. You don't need me to understand your Bible. I'm glad you're in my class. But you don't need me. You have the Bible. You can read the Bible. If you have questions, I'm happy to journey alongside you. I love that John says this here. You don't need anyone to teach you. And why is that? Because you still have that anointing within you. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you astray. The Holy Spirit still works on your heart. The Holy Spirit continues to teach you and he continues to fulfill Jesus' words to guide you into all truth. Nothing external, it's all internal. The Holy Spirit continues to teach you and he does so not by saying, okay, I'm going to make some incense, I'm going to cross my legs, I'm going to go home, I'm going to sit there and try to figure out life. No! You're going to open up the Holy Spirit's Word, the Bible, and you're going to read, you're going to study, you're going to pray this. Dear God, please teach me your Word as I read it. Make it come alive to me. Help me understand. And where I don't understand, bring someone into my life or bring a resource into my life that will help me in my understanding. Bring me people that I can bounce questions off of. But God, teach me your Word. Teach me your Word, God. That's a prayer he loves to answer. 
Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says in John 5, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Back to verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught you, remain in him. I love verse 25. This is what he promises, eternal life. You see, belonging means remaining. What these Antichrist figures didn't understand, they left John's church because they didn't really belong. They didn't remain. If they really belonged there, they would remain there. I know that sounds like really, really simple logic. And it kind of is. They left. Well, I don't think they were meant to be here because they left. Who could leave? Who could... I mean, seriously, if the Holy Spirit has transformed you from the inside out, at what point are you going to say, yeah, I gave it a good shot. I just can't do it anymore. No, no, it doesn't work that way. That's reducing God to some kind of chemical. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm really attracted to this thing now, but sooner or later, I'm just, I, you know, uh, tomorrow, come on, man. I'll, I'll just not do it, or, you know, I, I've had enough, or, you know, I got, I got other things to do. Or, you know. No, that's not what it means to become a Christian. Your life is freaking changed. Changed. Kachink, kachink, kachink. The French door swinging, the old westerns. Kachink, kachink. There's a new sheriff in town. The old sheriff doesn't matter anymore. Everything goes around that sheriff. That's it. Belonging means remaining. Identity leads to diligence. Yeah. I identify as a Christian. We, we live in a world that likes to self-identify right now. That nonsense. I identify as this. I, I like to identify as a thin person. How dare you say I, I'm not a thin person. I identify as a thin person. Shut it. It doesn't work that way. If you identify as a Christian, you are diligently going to remain and you're going to belong. The fruit's going to be on the tree of the branches of your life. The branches of the tree, of, you, you know what I'm saying. It's going to be there. You're going to be diligent. You're not going to give up. Eternal life is both a future promise and a present reality. I can't wait for eternal life to start because, you know, it's going to be great. Heaven's going to be so wonderful. It is. Yeah, all right. Good, good perspective. Good perspective. I have one thing to change. Jesus says here in John 5, um, um, if you believe him who sent me, you have eternal life. Not you will have eternal life, but you have eternal life. You see, the New Testament's clear. Eternal life is a future reality. It will be. But in Christ, it already is. Ah, what's that mean? It means I think there's something that needs to be said here. If I already have all the eternal life I'm ever going to get, that eternal life never does stop, or God just says, okay, the, the CD is skipping. I'm going to now take it out and blow on it and wipe it down and put it back in. Now we're going to start over again. No! Eternal life starts now and always will continue to be. You better darn well start living like it. That's the point. There is no cosmic do-over. At no point is God going to say, okay, you had your fun. Now we follow my way. No. No, 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 no. That's not the way God works. 
If that was the way God works, we'd have that all over Scripture. Because all over Scripture we have Jesus saying, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Not life one day. So you know what? Have fun now, but tomorrow's going to be a new day. There is no old-timey commercials. I'm drinking milk, and one day I'm going to have this. No. No. This either-or tension. Eternal life is but the future promise and a present reality. So why is all this important to John? Verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Listen. We all have watched TV. There's a reason why advertising works. Why does advertising work? It gets you to go, hmm, I don't have that. Why is this? I think my life will be better if I do have that. I need to have this. I need to have this in my life. And, and my life is not complete unless I have that thing. Unless I have that car... I can't get this image of life that I want, whether it's that girl that's on that car or that guy that's on that car or the stacks of money they're waving around or the respect this person seems to receive or the look that the grandchildren give the grandmother or, I don't know, the kids that want to come home for the holidays. I want that, and so i got to buy this. Advertising works. There's a reason why it works, and it's verse 26. When people try to lead you astray, they're enticing you with something. That's all of advertising right there, the enticement. That's it. The either or tension is verse 27. The anointing you receive from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you anymore. His anointing teaches you about all things, and all that anointing is real, not counterfeit. It's real. I don't care how much stacks of money I have when I walk into the store. If they all have the Monopoly guy on them, I'm not buying anything. I can go raid four or five stacks of Monopoly games. I could walk in with all those 500s. Oh, yeah. I must have crossed go like 200 times. I play Monopoly with my son. My kids also have, oh, they've got this uh, cash register thing to teach you about money. I tell you, some of those coins... They did a good job with them. They look real. I could probably spread out those coins in front of this table and put some, some real coins in there. And if you just had to look at them, you might have been fooled. The moment you pick them up, you're like, oh, that's not a quarter. Come on. You, the moment you try to put one of those little fake quarters into a vending machine, it'll know right away it's not a quarter. Real, the counterfeit is so powerful. But it's powerful for a reason. But it's just not the real deal. So what is it? The real or the counterfeit? What's in there? What's at the heart of a counterfeit? Think about that, our final question. What's at the heart of a counterfeit? Really, what is it? It's trying to deceive. It's trying to show power. Someone who has a bunch of counterfeit money and wants to try to think, I bet I can buy something with this. What's really at the heart of that? The heart of it is, I want to have control over this situation so I can spend it's not the real deal, but it's, it's something about the heart that wants to deceive, that wants to show some kind of a power. The both and. I, I love when I, when I first meet someone, when they find, I find out they're a sports fan, I, I like to say, who do you root for? And if there's someone from around here, well, I like the Cubs, I like the White Sox, I like, and right away that should shut down some conversations. Because there are some Cub fans that are not going to root for the White Sox, and there's even fewer White Sox fans that would dare root for the Cubs. Makes me as a Cardinal fan feel ashamed sometimes. 
the hatred the White Sox fans have toward the Cubs. No Cardinal fan hates the Cubs like a White Sox fan hates the Cubs. I'll just say that. But I'd like to ask them. You don't get to root for all of them. You get to root for one. Oh, I'm a Chicago fan. I just want to root for whoever Chicago has in the, whatever, whatever game it is. I just want to root for Chicago. Hogwash! You get to root for one. You get one sport you get to watch. That's it. Just one. What is it? Hockey. Or whatever they say. I guess I'll root for the Blackhawks and I won't. Okay. If you force me, yeah, I forced you conversationally. You see, that's the way it is. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. This is Matthew 6. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There is no both and when it comes to God. There is no buffet when it comes to God. Some people like buffets. If you're like me, you like buffets because you want to fill up and you just want to do so and just keep piling it on. I once set a record at, my, at a Chinese buffet back home. <laughs> Six trips to the buffet and my plate is not like your plate. My plate would be like a meal for two of you. Six times that. I once set a, a record at a hot wing place. They had 10 cent wings in Galesburg. My record was 61. I'm telling you, that's $6.10. And I got my drink for free because I was a designated driver. So I left there stuffed to the gills, less than 10 bucks. That's great. Honey barbecue is the greatest flavor of ring of all time. I know, I ate 40 of them. Both and. There is no buffet approach to God. Okay, God, I'm going to try this one over here for a little while. And you know, God, it's just you're not working for me. So I want this one over here. I want to test this for a while, and then I want that. There is no both and with God. You look at the book of Revelation, you are either marked by the beast or you are sealed by the lamb. There is no option C. There is no fence to sit on. That is it. A or B. It is either or. There is never a both and ever. We have tension. This tension reveals, the either or reveals your priorities, the both and reveals your allegiances. No diehard Cub fan is going to say, you know, but I like the White Sox too, and I, I root for them just the same. It's like somebody was like, oh, wow, that floor is so clean, you could eat off of it. I say to that person, really? Can I not serve you my food on a plate? We just have it on the floor. Is it really that clean you can eat off of it? Re do you really mean that? Or when it comes down to it, you're going to root for the Cubs until, until that's it. What's it going to be? Is there really a both and? Sports don't really matter. Eternity does. Either or reveals your priorities. The both and reveals your allegiance. If you're a both and kind of person, you're probably not a, a, have much allegiance to many things. You kind of have, want to have everything. I don't want to offend this person. I'll, I'll root for them too. And I just, oh, come on, just leave me alone. Don't make me choose. I always buy the, the variety pack of cereal because I don't want to just buy one. I always want to have the choice because I don't dare stop and just choose one thing. What is it? This tension. This tension. John is not letting you off the hook. He didn't let his church off the hook because the Antichrists are out there trying to lead them astray. Tension. Our first John chapter 2. Thank you for letting me share.